Let's start your holiday shopping off the right way. Order yourself a copy today of my new book, Christmas Past, The Fascinating Stories Behind Our Favorite Holidays Tradition. It'll keep you feeling festive all season long. Available in hardcover and ebook from Lions Press, and as an audiobook from recorded books narrated by yours truly. Available at all your favorite online booksellers, and remember, it makes a great gift. Hey, it's Brian, back with one of the few remaining pre-season episodes for 2022. That's because, if you're listening in real time, Thanksgiving is a week from Thursday. And Thanksgiving is when we kick off another official season of Christmas Past. Today we're continuing what's become a little tradition here on the show. It's a game of Christmas trivia where you have to spot the lie. Two truths and a lie is like a multiple choice quiz, but backward. You need to identify the incorrect option. For several seasons, I've hosted this game where I'm joined by fellow Christmas podcasters and we quiz each other. This time, it's different. Todd Killian, host of Christmas Clatter, joins me today where we play Quizmaster to two guest players, Laura from New Jersey and Ashley from Canada. Of course, there's one more player, you. Put your Christmas spirit and lie detection skills to the test as we play this special edition of Two Truths and a Lie. I'll be back at the end to wrap up, but for now... Enjoy. Hello and welcome everybody from Christmas Past Headquarters. It's yours truly, Brian Earle, and today I am back for an annual tradition here on Christmas Past. It's the game where you have to test your Christmas spirit and your lie detection skills. Yes, it's that game of two truths and a lie. Today I am joined by Todd Killian from Christmas Clatter and two very special guests. We have Laura and Ashley. Todd, thanks for being here. Hey, welcome. Um Glad to be here. Glad to do this game again. I've been uh, itching to, to be back. Well, what we're going to do is play this game in two rounds. For each round, each player will be asked seven questions. Again, these are multiple choice questions, but instead of trying to find the correct answer, you're trying to find the incorrect answer. Every round will have, or each of us will be quizzing each of the players on one of four decades, the 1940s, the 1950s, the 1960s, and the 1970s. Now, don't worry if you didn't experience those decades yourself. The point is more to test your lie detection skills as much as you're testing your own knowledge of Christmas history and your own Christmas spirit. In round one, I will be quizzing Laura and Todd will be quizzing Ashley. I'll be asking Laura questions all about the 1940s, including this first question. Laura, spot the lie. It has to do with White Christmas. It's the quintessential American Christmas song written in 1942 by Irving Berlin. Here are your three statements. Which of them is false? Is it A, Michael Bolton released a cover of the song as part of a non-holiday album? Is it B, originally Irving Berlin approached crooner Dan, Don Cornell to sing the song? Or is it C, Bing Crosby recorded the classic version released on Decca Records in just 18 minutes? Wow. Um, <laughs> those are pretty tough for me because I, I don't know who some of um, those people are. But uh, let me think. So Bing Crosby in 18 minutes, you said, right? right. Um, Michael Bolton on a non-Christmas album. And uh, what was the middle one? Middle one was originally Irving Berlin approached a different singer, Don Cornell, to sing the song. Um, 
I think I'm going to guess um, Michael Bolton is the lie. I'm afraid that is true. Uh, it was B that originally Irving Berlin uh, approached Don Cornell. Uh, and it's useful to pause here and point out a couple of things that in these questions, when something is true, it's completely true. And when it's false, it's completely false. It's not like we took something that was true and changed one detail to try to catch you out, right? So um, that one about B, I totally made up. Michael Bolton did release a version of White Christmas on a, yeah, it was just like a greatest hit or a great songs of all time kind of album. So it was non-Christmassy, uh, but it did include White Christmas. Okay. All right. And over to you, Todd, with a question for Ashley about the 1950s. Yes, Ashley, the 1950s. And uh, we yeah. start off in one of my favorite areas of Christmas, and that is the toys. Mr. Potato Head was the first breakout toy of the 1950s. A, the original Mr. Potato Head did not include a potato body. Consumers provided their own potatoes to stick various pieces into them. By 1953, Mr. Potato Head had sparked uh, spinoff toys such as Mr. Tomato Head and Lettuce Head Larry. And C, Mr. Potato Head became the first toy to advertise on television. Um, well, <laughs> I, I I don't have a lot of instincts with that. Um, I do know that Mr. Potato Head is still big even now to this day. Um, but I'm going to go with... B? B, that uh, he sparked spinoff toys such as Mr. Tomato Head and uh, Lettuce Head Larry. Lettuce yes. Larry. <laughs> that yes. would be uh, correct. Now, slow on the draw a while ago. I think the internet kind of got to this. So. And just to be clear, it's correct that that is an incorrect statement. Yes. 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 You, Ashley you is correct that lie. that is a lie. You identified yeah. the lie. I think I'll start using that Yay. phrase. You identified the lie. So. Well, that is one point for Ashley. Yeah. And Laura, here's your chance to catch up with question All number right. two, again, about the 1940s. It's a Wonderful Life is a classic Christmas movie from 1946. Which of these statements is the lie? Is it A, the movie broke box office records when it was released? Is it B, Jimmy Stewart almost didn't take the role because he was still adjusting to having returned home from World War II? Or is it C, that the fictional town of Bedford Falls, where the movie takes place, is supposed to be in New York? Um, for some reason, I, I want to say that is, I'm remembering that it wasn't a big hit came out or making that up but uh, i say the lie is a you are correct it was not a big hit when it came a. out in fact it's not not quite a flop but pretty disappointing uh, i think <laughs> rko which was the studio that made it uh lost some money on it so we're tied up okay. this is exciting one to one the heat is on that was a very that was a very tricky one i must say that was very tricky <laughs> oh, yeah that was that was a good one there brian Definitely, definitely. That was good. All I'm right. still laughing to myself about Mr. Lettuce Head. Let, lettuce Head Larry? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Lettuce Head <laughs> Larry. Love it. Love it. Good uh, alliteration always makes you, make, makes you smile. So. <laughs> All right. Ready, Ashley? I'm ready. All right. 1958's Rocking Around the Christmas Tree has become a Christmas classic. A, Brenda Lee recorded the song when she was only 12 years old. B, 
It was written by Johnny Marks, who, who previously penned Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer in Holly Jolly Christmas. And C, Brenda Lee was offered this song only after stars like Elvis, Chuck Berry, and Ricky Nelson passed, claiming it was too rockabilly. Um, I don't know. I have a hard time thinking that Elvis would have called something rockabilly, but because um, he would have made anything work. Um, I'm going to say the lie was B. The lie was B, that Johnny Marks previously pinned Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and uh, Holly Jolly Christmas. Yes. Sorry. Ah. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, lie was that uh, uh, Brenda Lee was offered the song after it was passed on by Elvis, Chuck Berry, and Ricky Nelson. She was actually, um, Johnny Marks actually pursued her immediately, which uh, really kind of confused her because she was really a fledgling artist at the time and didn't know why he wanted her to sing it so bad. Interesting. How, crazy how much older than 12 realize, Yeah. Yeah. Realize she yeah. was thir- uh, 12 years old. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is another music question again from the 1940s for you, Laura. Many of our best Christmas songs were written in the 1940s. Then again, a lot of Christmas songs were written in the 1940s and they weren't all gems, including which one of, or two of these are real. One of them is fake. Was it? If It Doesn't Snow on Christmas, a song that wonders how Santa will use his sleigh on a snowless Christmas. Is it B, Wrong Way Reindeer, which tells the story of Lefty, a directionally challenged reindeer on Santa's team? Or is it C, Willie Claus, which tells the story of Santa's son, Willie, filling in one Christmas when Santa had a cold? Okay. I feel like, I don't know, I'm really... I don't think that Santa's son's name would be Willie uh, if someone were to write that song. So I'm going to have to say that Willie Claus is the lie. I'm sorry. That is actually a real <laughs> song sung by the Despoto sisters or Despoto. I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, not a very good song, by the way, but you can find it on YouTube. Uh, the The lie was Wrong Way Reindeer. Oh, now that sounds was the legit lie. to me. Wrong Way Reindeer. Mm. That, that. <laughs> Still one. Ashley has two and Laura has one. Is that right? No. One and one. One and no? one. Oh, it's one and one. Okay, yeah. thanks. Yeah, yeah we're, we're tied. tied. Listen to, listen to previous two truths and the lies, and I am horrible <laughs> at keeping score. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, we, we try to keep it in our head while we're trying to keep straight everything, and it kind of. No, I'm actually writing it down. I'm still not doing yeah. a good job. Well, I always tried it in my head. <laughs> failed miserably each time. So. And and just so you know, Laura, if. If I'm not first, I'm last. I'm very competitive. So I see a one one on the scoreboard. It makes makes me as I'm eager, you know? I'm I'm also pretty competitive, but I'm not gonna pretend that I know very much about the forties through the seventies. If you could have given me nineties, I think I would have been all over that. Funny. All right, Ashley, we're gonna jump into uh Christmas movies from the nineteen fifties here. And uh there was a movie called Santa Claus, uh sometimes known as Santa Claus versus the Devil. It's a Mexican fantasy film from 1959. So, A, the film was slated for an American remake in the 1970s starring Charlton Heston as Santa Claus. B, in the film, Merlin the Wizard, Santa's most trusted assistant, gives Santa a, sleeping, a sleep-inducing power and a flower that allows him to disappear. Or C, the movie became a cult classic after appearing on a 1993 episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000. 
Um, can't ever say that I've heard this movie <laughs> at all. It is very, very unfamiliar to me. Um, I the way that the way that you said the last one about um, it being a cult classic and the fact that I have never heard of it is slightly suspicious. I'm gonna go with C. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, oh, oh no, I hit the wrong button. Insult to injury there. My gosh. Yeah. Jeez. I might have to uh, this sound effects. I can't, uh, I need, I, I'm not, no. It's, a, it's, some have deemed it a cult classic. And uh, so I just took uh, the, their word for it. Um, it's one I've heard of. It's one that's definitely crazy and worth seeing just because of it's, a, it's just a crazy mess. You know, it's got Merlin in it and it's yeah. got like, you know, this demon named pitch and all kinds of weirdness. It's like, I could have wrote all the things from the movie and they all could have seemed like a lie, but the lie actually <laughs> is the lie actually is it was never slated for a remake in the 1970s with Charleston Heston as Santa Claus. The, see the seventies were kind of a wild ride, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, mm-hmm. I thought maybe it would have been, <laughs> yeah, I just had in my mind, I, my mind's eye, Charlton Heston's Moses, from the boobies being basically Santa Claus, you know, yeah. versus the devil kind of thing. So, yeah, still one to one. Here's your chance to break into the lead with this question about the Slinky, which was one of the top selling Christmas toys in 1945. Which of these is the lie? Is it A, initially it wasn't a big seller, but after a public demonstration at Gimbel's in Philadelphia, it sold out within hours and became a sensation? Is it B, the Slinky got its own postage stamp in 1999? Or is it C, a rival toy maker sued Richard James, the creator of the Slinky, for infringing on his toy, the Slinker? Um, hmm. I think that I'm going to have to go with um, the Slinker. I don't really, I don't really have a good reason for it. I, I can see it being on a postage stamp because they do a lot of fun toys and things on stamps. So I, I think that... Uh, the slinker is the lie. And you are correct. There is no slinker that I'm aware of anyway. <laughs> so two points for you. I kind of couldn't believe it got its own it. postage stamp. I, I looked it up. It's a, I mean, the slinky on a postage stamp. Um, yeah. That's that's a lot of fun. Yeah, I guess I'm thinking if, if there was really a toy called the slinker, then he probably would have had a reason to, you know, sue him for mm-hmm. <laughs> naming his own toy a slinky. Yeah. <laughs> All righty. Right, Ashley, we, um, Christmas Day uh, on night, well, Christmas Day 1950, that specific day, uh, had some ex- exciting events take place. A, it was the first Disney TV special, One Hour in Wonderland, airing on NBC, sponsored by Coca Cola. The Cleveland Browns beat the Los Angeles Rams 30 to 26 in the NFL championship game. Or C, Bill Haley and his Comets played together for the first time. Oh God! I'm a hockey girl. <laughs> I don't know any other sports. Um, uh, the the first one sounds like a like a like it's true. So I'm gonna keep that one, um, and I'm gonna debate the other two. Uh, did you say something about the Browns? Uh, the second one. The Cleveland Browns beat the Los Angeles Rams thirty to twenty eight okay. in the NFL championship game. Okay, that sounds slightly true. Um, I'm I'm gonna pick out the lie as C. C for uh, Bill Haley and his comments played together for the first time. That is the lie. So, oh, thank God. Yes. You, nice. You identified the lie. So. 
All right, Laura, back over to you. We're talking about Miracle on 34th Street. I forget what year that came out, but definitely the 1940s. Which of these is the false statement? Is it A, Edmund Gwynn gained 30 pounds for his role as Kris Kringle? Is it B, Natalie Wood never saw the completed film during her lifetime? Or is it C, the Legion of Decency publicly objected to the film's portrayal of Maureen O'Hara's character as a divorcee? Um, okay, I can definitely see that last one about the, the divorcee character being true um, for, the, for the time. Uh, I think, I think I'm going to say um, the, the first one that he had gained, um, again, what did you say, 40, 30, 40 pounds to, uh, 30 pounds, to play. Yeah. yeah, I think I'm going to say that's the lie. That is not the lie. It was uh, the middle one that Natalie Wood never saw the film. She, of course she did. Um, okay. I think if you look at that, he's not an especially large Santa. I mean, I, I wonder what it looked like before he put on weight for the role because he's, you know. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I didn't remember him being very large, but all right. Well, apparently he to do it. All right. Uh, Ashley, the 1950s saw its share of banned Christmas songs. So which of these were actually banned? Uh, described as a mockery of decent human life, as well as Christ's birthday, uh, the West Virginia Broadcasting Company prohibited th its radio stations from playing I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus in 1953. Fears of demanding children uh, coaxing their parents into purchasing uh, wild animals saw California Department of Game and Wildlife stopping the broadcast of I Want a Hippopotamus for Christmas in an Eartha Kitt Santa Baby was not played on the radio because it was deemed too sexy and political officials expressed concerns after Kitt performed for a dinner in front of the King and Queen of Greece in November of 1953. Um, I'm thinking that the Santa Baby is a true one um, only because I know it's also getting scrutinized nowadays so i could see it maybe being scrutinized back then um so that's a truth i think in my head um i i want to say that b b you have identified the lie oh thank god so. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded so far-fetched i mean <laughs> well it was california you know so. <laughs> That's well, actually one of those novelty songs that I, I don't mind at all. Yeah. I think, yes. I don't know. My, my wife hates it, um, but I don't know. I think it's cute, actually. Yeah. It's a I, cute song. It's I also fun. love it. And the kids love it, too. Yeah. Okay. Well, here's another question for you, Ashley. And um, I'm sorry, not Ashley, Laura. And about another song. It's Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, which was a song written for the 1943 movie Meet Me in St. Louis and originally sung by Judy Garland. Which of these is the lie? Is it A, the Ramones released a cover version of the song as a single in 1982? Is it B, the stars and director of Meet Me in St. Louis said that the original lyrics were too depressing and demanded that they be rewritten? Or was it C, the line, hang a shining star upon the highest bow, replaced the original, until then we'll have to muddle through somehow, at the request of Frank Sinatra? Okay. Um, I'm pretty sure that I have heard that B is um, true. I, it may have even been on one of your episodes. Um, so the last one would be the uh, that the line was changed. Um, I, I don't know. I thought that 
that I thought both of those lines were in the song, unless I've just heard two different versions of the song. Um, I I'm gonna go with A as the lie. Yes, that the the Ramones did not release a, a cover of the song. As far as I know, they only re released that one Christmas song. I think it's called like "Merry Christmas, I Don't Want to Fight" uh, in 1979. <laughs> So anyway, yeah, the original version of the song, this is, remember, written during World War II. And a lot of those 1940s World War II songs have to do with like, you know, I'll be home for Christmas. I'm sad that I'm not. I'm right. nostalgic for those Christmases of yesteryear. And so the original set of lyrics were, have yourself a merry little Christmas. It may be your last. Um, and oh. then on and on from there. <laughs> and so the stars are like, yeah, no, it needs to be changed to something like let your heart be light. Uh, but then the, the final, that um, in the final verse, the line, until then we'll have to muddle through somehow, it was the original version. That's the one that Judy Garland sang, and that's you can find many recorded versions of it. But then when Frank Sinatra recorded the song, he was just like, yeah, no, that's not you know hip and jazzy enough for me. Let's rewrite it. So he went to the songwriter and asked him to change it uh, to the Shining Star Upon the Highest Bow. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So they were never actually in the song at the same time together? They're just no, two different nope, versions? Two different yeah. recordings. Yeah. There's a couple of artists that have both lines in there, you know. Yeah. Oh, really? I think Did they add a second verse? Or... One. Yeah, they just kind of, it's like the first time through, it's the muddle, and then like the ends of the song with the highest bow kind of thing. Yeah. I want to say Christina Aguilera's version, but don't quote me on that. So. <laughs> That's <so> random. <laughs> one of my favorite versions of that song is from the Muppet Christmas album where John oh, Denver yeah. does a duet with Rolf Dog. Yeah. Oh yeah. And they do the the shining star upon the highest bow uh, in that. Yeah. Over to you, Todd. All right, Ashley. Christmas Day throughout the 1950s became the birthday for many celebrities. So, which of these celebrities did not have a birthday on Christmas Day? Baseball Hall of Famer Ricky Henderson, Christmas Day, 1958. Uh, the Rhythmics singer Annie Lennox. Christmas Day, 1954, or famed television actor Otis Hillenbrook, Christmas Day, 1955. I'm not, honestly, I'm not sure. Um, I, the only person that I know is Annie Lennox. Um, I'm going to go with her. <laughs> so that's my answer. <laughs> you, you think she did not have the birthday on Christmas she Day? She did not have the birthday. Yes. Oh, um, I'm sorry. That <laughs> is a truthful <laughs> statement. <laughs> the lie is famed television actor Otis Hillenbrook, a completely made up name that uh, oh, not actually exist at all. So, no wonder I hadn't heard of this person. Yeah. That's, that's fair. You haven't heard of, of yes. uh, two thirds of them then. <laughs> okay, this is exciting because this is the last question for round one. We're tied. So, Laura, this is your chance to end this round ahead or not. So let's find out. Uh, we're <laughs> okay. going to be talking things that happened on Christmas Day during the 1940s. One of these is not true. Was it A, that W.C. Fields died on Christmas Day of 1946? Was it B, that White Christmas was certified double platinum on Christmas Day of 1944? Or was it C, Cary Grant got married to Betsy Black on Christmas Day of 1949? Well, uh... I'm going to have to just take a total blind guess on that. Um, <laughs> I think I'm going to guess that um, White Christmas did not get the double platinum on Christmas Day. I, that might be too on the nose. 
That is correct that that is false. So, so like, oh, yes, you get a point. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ashley, let's see if we can pull yeah. into a tie going into the halftime here. All right. All right. One of the toy fads that kids wanted for Christmas was the hula hoop, and it burned the hottest and fastest of all the toys fads. So which is these is the lie. Okay. It was originally an Australian exercise ring. 25 million hula hoops were sold over Christmas 1958. Or C, it was first marketed as a dog toy in the U.S. Well, I know that it at one point was very, very um, exciting. <laughs> that the toy was very exciting. I can imagine it would probably be around uh 1958 i think you said mm -hmm. um so i'm i'm gonna go with that one as a true um the one thing that i'm debating about is the last one because not really sure how that could be a good dog toy other than maybe to use as like a jump so i'm gonna go with c as the lie you have identified the lie Wow. Yeah. All tied that, up still. I thought maybe Ooh. that uh I thought maybe that would throw somebody because the Koosh was originally a dog toy. And uh so I thought that uh was it? Yeah. Oh. And I wasn't thought, the Koosh rubber? Yeah. Dog would chew right through that thing. Yeah. It didn't work out well. So <laughs> <laughs> we ready for round two? I think so. Ready to go. All right. So we're moving forward in time. The questions will be about the 1960s and the 1970s. And again, this time we are swapping. So I'll be asking Ashley questions and Todd will be asking Laura questions. And since I went first in the first round, Todd will go first in this round uh, with this question. All right. Laura, we are moving to the 1970s. And we're going to start off with toys again because... I just found them wildly fascinating, especially the, the ones big at Christmas. So let's start off with the Big Wheel toy became increasingly popular in the 1970s and uh, was a staple around the Christmas tree. It was so popular because they were safer than traditional tricycles. They taught a generation of children motor skills or C, the manufacturer giant uh, came out with training wheels or to compete with tricycle sales? Um, okay, so two of those are true. Uh, uh -huh. Let me think. Um, could, uh, do you mind repeating them? Sorry. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, they were safer than traditional tricycles. They taught a generation of children uh, motor skills, and the bicycle manufacturer giant came out with training wheels to compete with big wheel cells. Um, okay. I think, I think I'm going to go with um, teaching the motor skills being the lie just because I don't know. It's doesn't seem very Christmassy, but <laughs> I think that's the lie. I'm so sorry. Oh. The lie. Now is, I'm interested. Giant uh, coming out with training wheels uh, to compete oh, with tricycle cells. That sounded really legit. <laughs> yes, that was a tricky one. <laughs> okay, Ashley, here's a question for you about the 1960s. It has to do with a Charlie Brown Christmas, which came out in 1965. Spot the lie among these three statements. Is it A, the studio produced a version of the special that includes a laugh track? 
Is it B, the special's producer also wrote the lyrics to Vince Guaraldi's Christmas Time Is Here? Or is it C, in an early version of the script, Snoopy has a spoken line? I know that B is true, um, so I'm not going to say it's B. Or I, sorry, I don't know. I'm almost positive that B is true. Um, See, that is, yes, you're correct that that is the lie. Yes. Yay. That there is no version where uh, Snoopy has a spoken line. Yes, uh, Bob Mendelson was the producer and wrote the lyrics to uh, Vince Guaraldi's music. And yeah. that, yeah, there was, um, when the this version came out, the, the original um, uh, cartoon, the studio was like, why is there no laugh track? Like every kid's cartoon has a laugh yeah. track. Uh, so there was a version of it that did have one. And I was thinking back through the episode, it's like, when would you have heard the laugh track? Like when, when Charlie Brown's sick. like, thanks for the Christmas card you sent me, Violet. Like, is that when you would, <laughs> I, I honestly can't tell when you were supposed to hear a laugh in that. I would love to hear that yeah. version. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that would be real interesting. Probably be a little awkward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, Laura, hope you know movies. Because we're going to jump it okay. back into Christmas movies from the 1970s. And uh, specifically, Black Christmas, which was released in uh, 1974, which is a uh, slasher film uh, that actually sparked uh, inspiration for 1978's Halloween. So which of these is the lie about Black Christmas? When released in the U.S., Warner Brothers changed the name to Silent Night, Evil Night, but quickly changed it back. The television premiere was set to release as Stranger in the House, but was canceled due to a double murder at a sorority house two weeks prior. Or C, the movie was initially slated to release the day before Halloween, but was pushed to December due to filming delays. Um, okay, I've, I've never heard of Black Christmas, I'll be honest. Uh, but... Um, well, I don't see why it would be slated to release before Halloween if it was a Christmas movie. So I think I'm going to say that that is the lie. Uh, the third one. You have me figured out. You identified the lie. <laughs> Great. Uh, yeah. Um, Black Christmas, um, this past couple years has gotten more notoriety. There was a, um, uh, Bloom House remake of the movie, and I think there was a remake several years ago, but it's kind of uh, been pulled up from kind of obscurity because of its, uh, you know, ties to uh, John Carpenter really loving the movie and, and people wanting to remake Christmas slasher movies for whatever reason. Yeah. Talking about warmer and fuzzier things, yes. Ashley, in this question. Thank about you. The easy, bake, <laughs> the easy Bake Oven came out in 1963 and quickly became, became the must-have gift that Christmas. Which of these is the false statement about the Easy Bake Oven? Was it A, that it was one of the first examples of TV product placement when an oven appeared in an episode of The Donna Reed Show? Was it B, in 1963, it sold for the equivalent of about $125 in today's money? Or was it C, the original name was the Safety Bake Oven, but regulators shot that down because the product did not yet have a track record of safety? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> um, well, as a 90s kid, I also thoroughly enjoyed the Easy Bake Oven. So uh, mm. thank you, whoever made them. Um, Same. <laughs> but I, 
I can see the safety thing being an issue. Um, they, I, yeah, I can see them being definitely a concern because kids with hot stuff just don't match up. So I'm going to say that might be true. Um, it's showing up on the Donna Reed show. Um, I think that may have been true. So B. I'm afraid it was a was the lie. Oh, uh, that yeah. the thing about it showing up on the Donna Reed show. Yeah, it was a really expensive present for the time. It was it sold for fifteen dollars, but in today's money, that's about one hundred twenty-five bucks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. All righty. Wonderful Christmas time is a Christmas song by the great Paul McCartney. So which of these is the lie about the song? It was Paul McCartney's first solo single in over eight years since Eat at Home in 1971. It was very popular despite being regarded as one of McCartney's weaker compositions by some music critics. Some churches protested the song due to some of the lyrics being interpreted as practicing witchcraft. Oh, geez. Um, I'm trying to think of what the lyrics are that could have been about witchcraft. Um, it's the moon I, is high, spirit's right. Oh, okay. Uh, hmm, let me think. I don't really know a whole lot about the timing. and, and um, I'm going to say maybe A is the lie. I am sorry. Uh, it is true. The lie is churches protesting the song because of lyrics uh, interpreted as witchcraft. Yeah, it's just been a thing that's come up lately. People poke it. Yeah. It's not true. That's, I feel like it's, I feel like it's plausible. I feel like you know, something could have happened. Yes. All right, Ashley, let's see how you do with this question about How the Grinch Stole Christmas, which debuted in oh, 1966. Yeah. Spot the lie among these three statements. Was it A, only one actor is acknowledged in the uh, special's closing credits? Is it B, in the original poem, the Grinch lives 3,000 feet up Mount Crumpet, but in the special it's actually 10,000 feet? Or is it C, Dr. Seuss hired Tony Asher? a writer best known for writing the lyrics for the Beach Boys album, Pet Sounds, to write lyrics for many of the songs in the special. Wow. That is a very, these are very interesting questions. Um, <laughs> I think that the the part about the, the distance, I, for some reason that is coming to me as a truth. So I'm going to kick mm -hmm. that one to the curb. Um, and... Not really sure about the Tony Asher thing, but I can imagine that you would need some help creating the songs that came out of The Grinch. So I feel like that's the truth. Um, so, oh, I can't remember which one, if it was A or B. Um, the one that wasn't about the distance, but. Um, the one about the only one actor getting credit? Yes. Yes. You think that's the lie? That is a lie. Yes. No, actually, that's true. Only Boris Karloff uh, receives credit, even though, you know, Thurl Ravenscroft, who better known as the voice of Tony Tiger, among others, uh, sings yeah. a song, You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch. Um, yeah. And it was actually for C, it was Dr. Seuss actually wrote all the lyrics to all the songs. No one else wrote lyrics. Wow. Okay. That's Interesting. Cool. 
that is really Tony cool. Asher was the Beach Boys' as lyricist, but that's just a totally unrelated <laughs> fact. Okay. <laughs> was it a completely made up name? No. <laughs> All right. All right, that Laura. Let's talk about Rock'em Sock'em Robots, wildly popular in the 1970s and a must-have okay. game, uh, especially for boys. So which of these is the lie? The packaging and characters were updated in 1977 to give them a more outer space feel due to the release of Star Wars. The toy was available in the UK, uh, sold under the name Raving Bonkers, or C, the original colors of the robots were red and blue, which were thought to secretly represent the two colors of the Republican and Democrat parties. Um, okay, and you said that that it, the lie would be totally, uh, totally a lie. Not like, uh, yeah, totally red and blue for a totally other reason. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thought that they were originally red and blue um i i think i'm gonna go with the uk having a product called something bonkers i, I think that's the lie oh, i'm sorry that is actually oh. true they are were called the raving bonkers in the uk um oh, the original God. colors uh being red and blue <laughs> um they didn't become red and blue till later on and it had nothing to do with political parties all right, Ashley, here's another question for you from the 1960s. These are events that happened on Christmas Day, or should I say two of them are, and one of them is not. So which one is the false statement? Is it A, Disney released the sword in the stone on Christmas Day of 1963? B, the Gilligan's Island Christmas Variety Hour aired for the first and only time on Christmas Day of 1966? Or C, the Beatles released Day Tripper on Christmas Day of 1965? I, I think I remember Disney releasing the movie on Christmas Day, so I'm going to toss that one. Um, I have a feeling it, it is the Gilligan's Island. Correct. That is the false statement. Oh, thank God. There never was any such variety show, although many like it did yeah. exist during the 60s and 70s. Ashley is in the lead, uh, six to five, so... Let's see if you can figure this one out, Laura. And we are staying on the toy theme uh, for the 1970s because the hottest toy to close out the 70s was the Atari video game console, which was originally released in uh, 1977 uh, by the uh, North American game manufacturer Atari. So which one of these is the lie? The system was originally called At Arcade, but it was often spoken over quickly by co-founder Nolan Bushnell and Miss Heard as Atari, so the name was later changed. The original price of, was a staggering $199, which would be the equivalent of $920 in 2022. Atari's co-founder Nolan Bushnell went on to start Chuck E. Cheese Time Theater Pizzeria. Um, <clears throat> I feel like I'm going to have to say it's be because that's a crazy amount of money like the equivalent of you said over 900 dollars today for a video game console even though i know it was you know the original um i just don't i just don't feel like people would have been able to afford it uh so that's that's the lie oh i'm sorry 
Uh, <laughs> it was $199, which in today's money is uh, the equivalent of $920. The lie is the original name being at Arcade. Okay, Ashley, question for you about a Christmas gift for you from Phil Spector. That is the full name of the hugely successful album from 1963, featuring songs from the Ronettes and Darlene Love, among others. So, you know, Christmas, Baby, Please Come Home is from that album and a bunch of others too. Here are three statements about that song. One of them is false. Which one is it? Is it A, the album was originally released as a Christmas gift from Phil's records? Is it B, Beach Boys mastermind Brian Wilson attempted to contribute his piano playing to Santa Claus is Coming to Town, but he was rejected due to his low performing ability? Or was it C, the track of The Bells of St. Mary features uncredited backup vocals from Tina Turner? I find that that last the last one about Tina Turner. That is very interesting. Um, it seems very legitimate. Um, so I'm gonna put that one off. Um, and I'm debating now between uh, the Phil's record and could you repeat the, the middle one by any chance? Yep. Beach Boys mastermind Brian Wilson attempted to contribute his piano playing to Santa Claus is Coming to Town, but was rejected due to low performing ability. I'm going to say A. Nope, A is actually true. It was originally released as Christmas gift from Phil's Records. It was the Tina Turner thing. Yes, that's my my second um, reference to the Beach Boys in this. You can tell I'm very hugely into the Beach Boys. I took Dash to see Brian Wilson in concert this uh, summer. All right, Laura, we are going to stick with music as well. A promotional video of Elton John's Step Into Christmas aired on the Gilbert O'Sullivan Welcome to My Show in 1973. So which of these is the lie about Step Into Christmas? The single reached the number one on the Billboard Christmas single charts. Um, AFI forced Elton to record the song to fulfill a contractual obligation to the studio. Or C, the song Ho Ho Ho, Who'd Be a Turkey at Christmas was released on the B side of the album. I can't decide if Ho Ho Ho, Who'd Be a Turkey at Christmas is so absurd that you made it up or that it's true um i i think i'm gonna have to go with that as the lie because if i don't and it is I, i'll kick myself so i i don't think that ho 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 who's a turkey for christmas is a real song uh, i'm so sorry uh, no way no way the song of step into oh. christmas oh my gosh is it really yes it is and uh it's interesting if you ever want to listen to it but the lie is uh, AFI forced Elton to record the song. Elton and his and uh, uh, and his uh, writing partner Bernie wrote the song. AFI is just a made up acronym for a studio. So. I was almost going to ask you what AFI was. I should have. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Ashley. Here is uh, and so just to check in on score and where we are in the game. Ashley is one point ahead of Laura, uh, yeah. six to five, and you each have two more questions in this round and for the game. Actually, this question is about the aluminum Christmas tree, which to be fair, were from the 50s. They were created in 1958, but they were at the peak of their popularity during the 1960s. Here are three statements about the aluminum Christmas tree. One of them is false. Which one is it? Is it A, the first prototypes for aluminum Christmas trees were produced using aluminum recycled from old turkey roasters? Is it B, the concept is technically older than the first commercially available trees of the late 50s, because in 1937, an issue of Popular Science suggested spraying real trees with aluminum paint. 
Or is it C, you can't put light on an aluminum Christmas tree because the lights would cause a short circuit? I'm sorry, because the aluminum would cause a short circuit. Uh, now, I'll be honest with you. All three of these sound very legitimate, so I'll give that one to you. <laughs> um, I, I just think that it's something in I, that I can see them doing back then is spraying or trying to spray an old tree with aluminum. Um, so that might be a truth. Um, and I'm kind of leaning on the fact that the first prototype was used by old turkey roaster um, tins. The last one, I can't, I, I don't even want to say anything because um, my partner is an electrician. And if I say the wrong thing, I swear I will never <laughs> live it down. Um, so I'm, I'm going to go with a old turkey roaster stuff. <laughs> you think that's the fake one? I think that's the fake one. Yes. And you are correct. That is, that oh, is totally Oh my God, thank true. God. <laughs> uh, um, and yeah, in 19, it's not technically an aluminum Christmas tree, but they, and they, they actually recommended using an insect spray gun to put aluminum paint in and spray paint the Christmas tree with. Um, but the thing about the Jesus. lights is totally why they have that color wheel, because you could not put Christmas lights on a metal tree. That would just be a horrible idea. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ashley has taken a commanding yeah. lead. Yes. All right. Well, we'll, we'll do these last couple here just to see if we can uh, close that gap down, Laura, to just a single point instead of two. How to redeem myself a little yes, bit. Yes. So we are going to 1974. Rankin Bass's The Year Without a Santa Claus broadcasts on December the 10th. So which one of these is the lie about the year without Santa Claus? The Heat Miser and Snow Miser were inspired by the comedy duo Laurel and Hardy. The story was based on a book of the same name by Phyllis McGinley in 1956. Or C, Mickey Rooney was cast as Santa Claus and went on to be included in the International Santa Claus Hall of Fame in 2012. Um, <laughs> that is, okay. Um, the, the Laurel and Hardy, I could definitely see that for... Heat miser, snow miser. Um, I don't remember who played Santa. That's terrible. Uh, what was the middle one you said? It was. It was. Uh, the story was based on a book by the same name written by Phyllis McGinley in 1956. I think I'm going to go with Mickey Rooney is the lie. Is that wrong? <laughs> we didn't finish very strong on this one, Laura. Oh. <laughs> The lie was actually Heat Miser, Snow Miser being inspired really? by Laurel and Hardy. Oh, oh, were they inspired by anyone? No, not really. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no one I could find. Really. No one I could find. Maybe in the studio they said something that wasn't recorded, but nothing I could find uh, that gave oh. me the tell. So. All right. All right. So that was so all, all that's left to do is determine how large of a lead Ashley's going to win this game. With. Oh, jeez. <laughs> with this final question, having to do with the stop-motion Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, which debuted in 1964, which of these is the false statement? Is it A, in a 1979 airing of the special, the We Are Santa's Elves number was cut out and it was never explained why? Is it B, there was a typo in the Roman numerals showing the copyright year in the title screen? It mistakenly indicated that the special was copyrighted in the year 1164. 
Or was it C, Billy Mae Dinsmore, who voiced the character of Rudolph, would later be the voice behind Blanche, the Wicked Witch, in the 1986 cartoon special, The Glow Friends Save Christmas? Okay, I, for some reason, I have this feeling um, that it's been chatted about before, that the We Are Santa's Elves were removed. Um, so I'm going to push that to the side. Um, uh, the Roman numerals thing, I... I have a feeling that that might, might, it sounds like it could be real, but um, uh, no, I'm going to go with B, B being a lie. No, B was totally true. Um, <sighs> it, yeah, and I, I don't know my, I can't like off the top of my head tell you what the Roman numerals were, but they mistakenly said yeah. that the thing was copyrighted in, in uh, 1164 instead of 1964. Billy Mae Dinsmore wow. really was the voice of Rudolph, but she was not the voice of Blanche the Wicked Witch in the 86 uh, cartoon. That was actually Sally Struthers was the voice of the Wicked Witch. Okay, guys, let's recap the game. After two rounds, uh, the final score is seven to five, where Ashley is our big winner. Hey. Congratulations, Ashley. Todd, do we have hey. a sound effect? Oh, wait, well, you just give her the winning <laughs> sound effect there. Hey, congratulations. Good job. Congratulations. And a Merry Christmas to both of you. Yes. Thank you very much for playing. And thank you, everyone, for listening and playing along at home. Wonder how. So, how did you do? Would you have won if you were playing along with us? Maybe you can play in a future episode. Reach out if you're interested. I'm at christmaspasspodcast at gmail.com. Join me again at the same time next week where I'll have something special for you for the last preseason episode for 2022. Until then, let me remind you that Christmas Past is produced in wonderful Willow Glen, California by yours truly, Brian Earl. Thanks so much to Todd Killian from Christmas Clatter. Thanks to Laura and Ashley. And as always, thank you for listening. And now is the perfect time to send a Christmas memory to appear in an episode later this season. All you have to do is record a voice memo into your phone and send it to christmaspastpodcast at gmail.com. Keep it reasonably short, clean and family friendly, and be sure to say your name and where you're from. Let's stay connected all season long. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And please join our private Christmas Past Facebook group if you haven't yet. And hey, if you're really feeling the Christmas spirit, why not help more people discover the show? It's as easy as telling a friend about it or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. If you do leave a review, I'll send you a Christmas Past sticker and a handwritten Christmas card is my way of saying thanks. Reach out for details. And until we meet again, may your days be merry and bright. <laughs>